snap. I was just about to ask you, oh, you said giving us projections or? I don't think it's going to happen. I think Facebook is resourceful and has a ton of data. And, you know, I've stated that I believe they're more powerful than government entities. And what I think is interesting about Facebook on a complete tangent, to me, it looks like Facebook is building the first non-state government. Welcome back to the Programmatic Digest podcast, a discussion on top programmatic and digital news with other digital ninjas. I'm your host, Ellen Parker, your very own programmatic sensei. You can now sign up on our website to receive a weekly alert every time a new episode drops or sign up for a monthly recap if you like to binge. Head over to programmaticdigest.com for more information. As we continue to brace during these trying times of the coronavirus outbreak, I want to send you and your family some love and encouragement and hope that you're healthy, safe, and at home. With that said, welcome back to the Sunset's Corner, Rob. Ellen, thanks for being, uh, thanks for having me here. This is super cool. Yeah. Um, so you were on the podcast, I'm going to say a couple years ago, Definitely. and we kind of met, right, via LinkedIn, long story short. And now here we are. I consider you like a very, very good friend slash mentor. Oh, sweet. That's very nice. I, I consider yeah. you a great friend as well. Great to be here again. Thanks for having me. Super. So for those who don't know you, which I know is not a lot of people, but just for those folks, can you just go ahead and give us a good intro about who you are and what you do? Yeah, so my name is Robert Brill. I'm the Chief Executive Officer of Brill Media, and we're an advertising firm. And the, the core thesis, the core business model here is help marketers advertise like a Fortune 500 brand without spending a fortune. The core idea is that, you know, when I started the business, I had spent 10 years in digital advertising. I saw how massive brands grow, Bacardi, Toshiba, PetSmart, Sony, Disney movies. And Around the time the programmatic ecosystem became a thing, I really saw firsthand like how these data sets and these programmatic inventory sources were allowing brands to just take off. And so our business is really focused in on helping independent businesses access the same tools, targeting, and tech to drive leads and sales. That's great. That's awesome. I love the fact that you're giving, you know, you're giving a chance for the small agencies, the smaller to medium sized agencies, I would say, uh, to receive the same level of and quality level of um, programmatic media. I mean, it's great. It's diversification, right? Like, you know, there are like the two biggest platforms, Facebook and Google, right? By volume of agencies, just by the number of individuals yeah. and small companies that call themselves agencies, most of those companies are doing work on Facebook and Google. Yeah. And as we all see time and time again, diversification across platforms, whether it be any of the easily available social platforms or the larger programmatic ecosystem, that diversification is critical because at any time things could change. Oh, absolutely. And we've seen it in the last year, which is a great segue into the conversation I would love to pick your brain on today yeah. is um, I think if we remember the theme of the episode as what and how smaller to medium sized brands can really maximize their ad dollars during this COVID time. Um, so we'll just keep it that as a theme and slash a topic. So before we get too much into your tips and into your tips, I'd love to hear like a quick, um, almost like an open opinion, a brill opinion, I would okay. call it, about what's going on in terms of like cookie deprecation and all of the nice, fancy, sexy, schmancy uh, solution we are supposed to get in the next year. 
I don't want to dive too much into it because I know as a listener, sometimes I, I get cookie deprecation fatigued <laughs> in terms of conversation, like everywhere we're talking about. But knowing your expertise and knowing what you do and how you do it, I just love to know first what you think and then how you're kind of preparing. Yeah. So when we talk about cookie deprecation, I've heard from a lot of people exceptionally smart people, much smarter than I am and, and have just technical knowledge beyond what I have. And, you know, what I've, the general idea of what I've heard is that if I talk to a publisher, a publisher says, uh, the, the ad agency is SOL. If I talk to an ad agency person, they're saying the technology company is SOL. When I talk to the technology company, they're saying the publisher is SOL. And these are all really smart people, really yeah. talented people, right? And, I, and I'm just like, okay, well, when I, when I take the totality of what I'm hearing is that there's no clear consensus about what is going to happen with this. And, you know, I would argue that it's much easier for an independent business to keep track of whether Facebook's in, in particular in the next 30 days, next week or two, as Apple changes their tracking setup and, and it affects Facebook and the entire ecosystem. But right. let's talk about Facebook. I would argue it's independent businesses have the most opportunity to figure out directly whether something works or doesn't work. I mean, yeah. I'll take our business. I'll take our business as a small business, right? We have a HubSpot account where we where we pull in leads. We get leads from Facebook and Google and some SEO. We get between two and 10 leads a day. And um, we know when leads are coming in. We know where they're coming from. We know which campaign, which ad set, you know, all that stuff. We, we, we're tracking on that. Okay, cool. So if in like a month, I go from two to 10 leads to like one or two leads, I know something's broken. And it, it probably has to do with the fact that Apple has changed their targeting and we're reliant in this very moment on Facebook. Okay, fine. Small businesses, independent businesses know on the day whether or not they're getting leads or not. It's not a big question. And if they're not getting leads one from one day to the next, simply pivot away uh, from the platform that is not driving leads. It's actually very straightforward. If Google's driving leads and Facebook is not, put more money into Google search. Right. I think it's actually much harder for large brands, whether you're Fortune 500 or not Fortune 500. I think it's much harder because you consistently have this attribution challenge about which which partner, which agency, which network, et cetera, is driving the lead is more expensive to figure out and you have this added challenge. Um, so I think the proof is in the pudding. Either you're getting leads in sales or you're not getting leads in sales and you got to <laughs> figure that out. And that's why we exist. We exist because everyone and their mother can turn ads on on Facebook and Google. Everybody. But can, but can you do it effectively? And it's hard work. And a lot of the work that we do is based upon a testing framework. One of the phrases that I often talk about is, you know, if you remember Babe Ruth from whenever he played baseball in the 20s or 30s, he famously called out, pointed to the stand, and on the next one or two pitches, he hit a home run. Mm -hmm. You don't have to be Babe Ruth. This is not a Babe Ruth moment. I don't have to identify the one or two ads that are going to drive all the performance. I need 500 creative variations or 1,000 creative variations to help me define which image, which copy, which targeting recipe works the best for this campaign. So a lot of what we do is just run a lot of creative executions that hit a minimum level of quality. Certainly that has to be there. I'm not talking schlock. It has to be quality. Well, of course. Once yeah. the minimum standard of quality is set, then you have an opportunity to find the performers and you never stop optimizing. You never stop optimizing. That's a great point. Okay. So let's break it down because you just dropped a lot of gems here. So <laughs> 
what I'm hearing is that continue testing throughout this whole whole phase. Don't stop your ad spend. Don't stop your campaigns just yet. Continue to test phase, oh. readjust. We do have an advantage when we are working with smaller to medium-sized uh, clients, agencies, and brands because of the level of attribution that's involved. And when you say that, you're referring to the fact that most of those clients and brands have two to three maybe media channels, right? So the, the attribution analysis and the tracking of those conversion for say or the results may be a little bit easier. Well, yeah. I mean, you're either going to get leads that show up in your HubSpot or SharpSpring or Salesforce account or you're not. I mean, it either does or it doesn't. You know, what we're looking at on Facebook specifically is, and as Apple changes, how tracking occurs across the digital advertising ecosystem is, are we going to see a deprecation of the identity of the user moving forward? Meaning that's going to happen. Are there going to be platforms that have a way around it, that have the way to target the right users at the right moment? Or will Facebook performance drop dramatically by the end of 2022? That's actually what you know, people talk about long-term effects. That, that's the long-term effect of this one thing that's about to change with Apple, right? It's possible that Facebook advertising, for example, will just not, will be markedly less effective by the end of 2022 because it doesn't have access to high-resolution iOS data. It's possible. I don't think it's going to happen. <laughs> oh, snap. I was just about to ask you, oh, you said giving us projections or... I don't think it's going to happen. I think Facebook is resourceful and has a ton of data. And you know, I've stated that I believe they're more powerful than government entities. And what I think is interesting about Facebook on a complete tangent, to me, it looks like Facebook is building the first non state government. Mm -hmm. And why is that? Because of the amount of data in, um, I guess, I'm going to say data power that they have? Or Here's, here's my thinking on this. I think Facebook controls speech. Uh -huh. they, they, they are the, the place where speech occurs, not the only place, but a key place where speech occurs in the world. They're building a virtual world with Oculus. They have a digital currency called Libra which is based on primarily the US dollar, but multiple currencies. It's a stable coin. They have a Supreme Court. So they have a, a, a method of governance. They are going to create regional Supreme Courts, just like we have in the United States. Mm -hmm. You know, there was a... Um, so, so, so to me, it looks like Facebook starts to become a state actor that doesn't have physical boundaries, but they have the infrastructure of being a state organization which has nothing to do with advertising whatsoever. <laughs> hey, yo, we're talking about conspiracy now. And no, this isn't conspiracy. Like all the pieces are there. This isn't conspiracy. This is, this is an idea. Like one of the key things that's interesting to me is like, you know, I saw a post the other day uh -huh. that like, you know, Google bought YouTube for $1.6 billion. And then now they make that amount really? out of YouTube every couple of weeks. I think I saw that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Right? And I didn't fact check that. I don't know if those are the exact numbers, but yeah, the sentiment is there, right? Yeah. So it's like, that's what happens when you have the ability to predict the right future. Mm -hmm. So part of being a business owner and an entrepreneur and a marketing executive mm -hmm. is having the imagination to posit all the different types of futures that may occur. And I believe Facebook is building whether intentionally or just haphazardly, I, I doubt it's haphazardly. Right, right. I believe Facebook is in a world-building phase, and if they don't get squashed by government, um, by government regulation 
and deregulation in the United States and all kinds of other stuff, or I should say regulation in the United States, if they don't get squashed like that, they have an opportunity to be one of the first organizations that starts to look a lot like a government entity without being bound to physical borders. Got you. And I don't know where you should go with that. (laughs) That's just, I'm putting it out there. So let's think, I don't know if still on the same topic, because now you got my attention. I don't know if I would be for or against that idea of having Facebook that much control, um, especially when, I don't know, and maybe that's everything. And then now when you think about governments that they honestly don't have any control, in my opinion, <laughs> uh, over anything. So when we look at Facebook and we see how Facebook have really almost failed, I would say, um, their users in terms of like data privacy, um, protecting the consumer experience, protecting the consumer's data. I'm not scared, but I'm going to pay attention to that. I don't know. Facebook I definitely agree talent. with you now that you positioned it that way. I think definitely if something like that happened in the next four or five years, I wouldn't be surprised. Because as soon as I heard, what is it, Libra, not cryptocurrency, but Libra, I was like, hmm, I wonder what they're going to do it. Like they invested in- um, a long-term thing. That's a 15, 30-year play. For sure, for sure. Um, I mean, after buying out, uh, what was it? So when they bought Instagram, that was a while ago. Oh, they just bought WhatsApp. After buying WhatsApp, that's when I was like, wait a minute. Now, what are they trying to say? I, I do think that Facebook is working on something internal. And maybe the government is. I think that's why they're trying to stop them. But we'll, we'll see. You know, one, one of the challenges for me is like, you know, Facebook attracts a great deal of talent. And are they a bad actor? I mean, there are a lot of people who, who, who feel that Facebook is a bad actor. I actually disagree. I don't think Facebook is a bad actor. I think the challenge that Facebook is, is having is that when you are at the nexus of communication, when your platform is a place where billions of people communicate, you're going to have diversified points of view and you're going to have to make tough calls. Yeah. And they did implement, what is it? I forgot the name of the department that they implement to uh, specifically in the case of political ads and political uh, mis and misleading information. They implemented a department to help, you know, just comb through some of that, the bad stuff. But I mean, it's it's very biased in my opinion. Like opinion, it's it's very biased because what is it stems from human standards. But again, you just mentioned when you bring everyone with different culture, different background, different values, we will all have different standards. So how do we come up with like that one standard that everybody should respect? You don't. Follow. You, you don't. Can't. You, can't. you like, need to I have a re- almost for Facebook sometimes. Like there's no easy translation. Uh, like um, when I hear him in, in court sometimes just defending, I'm like, ah, I don't know. I mean, I see the point of those political sure. parties, but I also see the point of Facebook. But as a consumer, I mean, I do want Facebook to, I guess, stay accountable or become more accountable when it comes to my data. And I think they started. I don't know if they started or I think they were doing. No, I'm not going to say they were doing pretty well, but I, I know there were some efforts into helping consumer use Facebook the way it was intended to first and also um, sharing the information that's going on in the background. Sure. I think that's a great segue into the next question I really wanted to hone in about those wall gardens, you know? Okay. And again, it's all on the on the topic of how do we not survive, but continue uh, thriving through these times? Because we did see that in 2020, the beginning of the year, all ad spend like almost shut down. Like it was like done, burn, everything stopped. Almost, almost everything Legit. stopped, right? And then Q4, $58 billion in ad revenue. Um, so 
there's definitely some movement there, but also we, I want to talk about the audience uh, behavior. You know, more people are streaming, uh, more people are, I guess I'm not going to say lax, but what did I say? It was a particular term, but almost more relaxed when it comes to seeing an ad now versus before they had little, almost no patience when it came to, to certain ad serving. That's why they would want, they were more likely to utilize ad block tools or software. Yeah. So, how do we implement what we know about Facebook, what we know about the behavior, the audience behavior into our media? How can um, we make sure that we maximize that dollar? Yeah, I mean, the, the first thing is mindset, right? When economic crashes happen, yeah. many business owners and businesses will inherently want to cut advertising costs. And, yeah. you know, in March of 2020, as the world was figuratively crumbling under the strain of a, a massive uh, 100-year you know, health issue, mm-hmm. um, my first thought was, holy cow, if, if a client says, Robert, should we be marketing right now? What is the right answer? Like, what do we do? Do I just say yes? Do I say no? So I was like, okay, I need an informed decision. So I did some research. The research ended up becoming um, a recession marketing guide that we have that kind of chronicle the first three weeks as COVID shut down the economy in the US. Mm-hmm. And the point isn't chronicling COVID. The point here is answering the key question, should you be marketing right now? Right. March, April, May, 2020, and now into 2021. And the answer that I found, I did the secondary research was looking at economic crashes back to 1921, the Great Depression, various things in the 60s and 70s, the Great Recession of 2008-9. And we Look at companies that have grown during that period. You know, companies like Instagram were created and then sold in that period. Yeah, Twitter. Uh, yeah. Salt and Straw. Yeah, people like Gary V, mm-hmm. who became big during yeah. that people, and Grant Cardone, and many other companies, Smashburger. And what you and you have companies that were established companies like um, De Beers and Domino's who went head on. Domino's had a fundamental issue in the, the Great Recession, 2008 9. Where their pizza, they were running commercials and ads on YouTube that were saying, "We know our pizza is horrible. We know, we know that our our sauce tastes tastes like ketchup, and we know that our bread tastes like cardboard, and we're gonna fix it." And in the guide, we talk about like the fact that the numbers improved. Mm-hmm. The core thing is businesses who ad that advertise during economic downturns. If you have the cash flow to sustain one or two years and maybe not seeing an immediate return, mm-hmm. we'll get between a 4% and 300% increase in revenue share, market, mm-hmm. et cetera, as the economy rebounds. The core idea here is when the economy downturns, that's the time brands must advertise. Mm-hmm. And so we took that on because I want, you know, I wanted to eat my own pudding or whatever the phrase is, <laughs> right? And we started marketing and advertising aggressively during that period. And, and we created a, um, a lead pipeline that is, is very robust and very effective. Mm-hmm. And I think the question for any marketer is, do you have something important to say? How do you say it effectively? And you don't need a lot of money to do it. Like big brands will, will spend millions of dollars and tens of millions of dollars and hundreds of millions of dollars marketing. Millions, yeah. you, you can spend $1,500 a month and get fantastic marketing. And to the consumer, they're going to see a Coca-Cola ad once, a Sprite ad next, and then they'll see your brand. So you have all the exact same adjacencies, and it costs you $1,500 a month rather than $10 million a month. And by the way, 
All that really means if your marketing and advertising are effective, all that really means is you just reach fewer people. But yeah. you being an independent company, don't need to reach millions of people. You need a thousand or two thousand people to make a difference to your brand. That's the fundamental like that. thing that we're advocating for in the marketplace. I think that's brilliant. Um, and I definitely want to highlight what you said. Like if I was reading a book, I would have been highlighting almost the whole time. But you said <laughs> something very powerful. Like first, I feel like what this past year and ongoing has taught us is that we we took some time back to evaluate the human behind the marketer. Um, so we've seen a lot of brands implement uh, more on a one-on-one -on -one emotional connection. What I mean by that is brands are now, now saying, like you said, they're very intentional with their message and they are trying to really connect with that person and be, you know, just be there. Like just, they're just trying to show compassion um, on the ad within the ad. So I like the fact that instead of continuing those millions impressions, and now we're talking down to hundreds or even tenths. And I definitely think that that's how it's going to continue being. And I'm not to to bring the cookie deprecation back in the conversation. But I really think that's how it's going to continue um, because what cookies allowed us to do accidentally uh, was to target so many people that had an attention measured somewhat the same way um, and not even the same way sometimes. It was just like matched together and sure. deemed compatible. And so now we're, I think we're almost going to go back to being on a one-on-one -on -one basis or one to 10 or even to me is better than one to a million. Right. So that right. message is going to be very specific. It's going to be group It's going to be intentional. I, I want to highlight again what you mentioned for our listeners, that it is not a set it and forget it. You have to continue testing. You just have to you just have to. You mentioned like billions of message. And now I'm thinking that, oh, snap, he's right. Like, I have to remember the message. And, you know, I'm taking uh, content management courses here and there, um, talking with like business coach about how to take the podcast specific promotion to the next level. And I want to do it the right way. And it starts with content management and content promotion. And every single one of these coaches say, well, your audience have different personalities. You know, I don't know if you know the disc assessment, yeah. um, but they're all like, yeah, well, you have to have a message for your, your high Ds, which is the dominant more, I'm not going to say aggressive, but very upfront person. And you have to have a separate one for the high I, which I am a 99.999% high I. I don't know if you could tell. <laughs> Um, and so they're all saying on a content management level, how you really have to identify those personality traits. And at first I was like, well, that's just makes almost sense. And I started scratching my head, like, but it makes sense. Why would I have one message talking, uh, saying the same thing in that message and talking to different personalities? You know, if you're a high D, you don't want to know anything, any like details. You just want to know the result. Like just get me there. Um, you know, that's it versus like a high, what is it? Is it like a high C? Um, like the cautious person there, they're going to ask for the Carfax. Like they're going to be the one, like, what am I going to gain out of this podcast? So it just brings me back to what I'm like hearing in different branch of the overall marketing world, because I feel like programmatic media is, I don't feel, I know that programmatic media is a sub branch of marketing as a whole. You know, you have a traditional sure. programmatic digital, whatever content influencer, you name it, um, streaming now. So I think this is just pushing us to be even more innovative and even more creative in our media. And I'm actually having a lot more fun, you know, running some of the campaigns that I'm running, you know, just um, doing, I'm, I also do some consulting 
consulting with other brands and other agencies where I just come in and help them like identify opportunities on an operational level, but also on a performance level for their campaigns and their clients. And I'm having a lot of fun. I'm just testing it. You know, I'm the, I'm doing the same thing. I'm eating the same pudding right now. Like, okay, well, let's just have fun. It. It's like, it's either we go big or we go bigger. I mean, you, you mentioned Grant Cardone. Yeah. And um he was go on bigger, a, go home. Yeah. No, he actually said go big or go bigger. Like you can't go oh. home. You're not gonna grow when you go home. Um and I heard that on David Shen's podcast, uh Social Proof. He has a podcast and Grant Cardone was on there. Um so it's it's all about connecting these pieces that we thought we were doing well before because of all of the data and all of the technology. Now, one of the major technology said, Well, I'm taking away how you were making money, and everybody else, like in the market, uh in the industry is now upset. Um, I mean, I hear them at, at exchange, <laughs> uh, media posts. I mean, I'm not going to say everybody's upset, but I know that deep down, I am not as excited that Google continues to call very important shots in my day-to-day. I'm not going to lie. Google specifically or, or all big tech? Some big tech, you're right. If you think about it, some wall gardens um, are still calling the shots for us. But I do think that Google has a very, very big influence still. I mean, the traders has a good influence, Media Math, AppNexus, all of those big guys continues to have influences on our um, how our industry is shifting. But I think Google has the biggest one, unfortunately. They really have like... Really? I think it's. I, I mean, tell me, tell me what you think. This is why I, I selfishly say things like that, so my guests can tell me, like, actually, let me tell you, or let me correct you, because I'm here to learn. But also, when I, when I do some research from different media sources, they also almost, almost sound the same, or they're almost writing the same way, even though I have my preference. Like, I really like ad exchangers. What is the podcast that they have? The Big Talk or whatever it's called. Mm-hmm. I, I listen yeah, to yeah, yeah. it every day. And I forget Allison Schiff, uh, Zach Rogers, all of them. <laughs> yeah, I like that. Yeah, I, I think, and this is, you know, when we when we talk about the marketplace, I, I often use yeah. Facebook and Google as a as a way to differentiate. It's easy to sell against Facebook and Google because you know we have access to the best platforms that exist in the market that many of our clients, not not many of our clients, but yeah, some well, of our clients haven't even heard of. Yeah. Right, like oh, that's easy to sell against that because like we have something that for our category is exceptional. And we're not competing with IPG and WPP and all that. That's that's standard fare for them. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, what's interesting also is I'm, I'm hearing the clients that we have yeah. come to us and say that uh, Google stopped working for us. And the, the lead cost or the sales cost got too high on Google, so they want to run things on Facebook. And then in other cases, we have clients that say, Facebook just shut us off. <laughs> it happens. Yeah, you yeah, need yeah. to get into banners and native, etc. Mm-hmm. So you know, at the end of the day, to me, it's like I love those two platforms because they're so ubiquitous and it's easy to sell against them. Right, but again, you're mentioning two big platforms, and I mean, I'm not, I'm not trying to shit on Google here, but it is my to go when I I help clients built from or just upgrade their their stacks they can't afford the the traders they cannot afford um all this big tech like you just mentioned they can't afford like the tap ads for cross device um targeting and tracking but gmp is safe gmp is um convenient you know they offer like a creative and tracking warehouse dcm i'm cm360 dv360 sa360 you're running two media and boom it's in it um and then you can track third-party tags across different social and different other media so 
Mm-hmm. It does make things a little bit more convenient because they have that monopoly. I'm not going to say monopoly. I don't want to hurt feelings here, but <laughs> uh, because they have that power over the data or I guess that data warehouse, I should say. And then same thing for Facebook. I've uh, since Facebook got rid of their, their third party data and maybe Facebook knew, you know what? It, it gets back to Facebook knowing it's like the Simpson of almost, you know how like some old Simpson episode came out three years ago about like Trump and everything. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, wait, I never watched the Simpsons as much as like before we would literally Google some episodes in the last two, three years so maybe facebook is like the simpson of the ad tech okay are you here to hear first folks um if something happens we it was me and rob okay rob and i <laughs> uh, i don't even know what we were talking about honestly anymore I got so excited about the simpson but but yeah same thing with facebook they have that monopoly that's why they are they're so good at what they're doing in terms of uh advertising and allowing us to do- name brands to, to me they're the name they're a big like to me, Facebook, uh, from a business perspective, I'm not talking about consumer data and privacy and all the philosophical and social stuff and communication stuff, because that's that's outside of my pay grade. Like I'm not, a <laughs> yeah. social, I'm not a social scientist. Like I keep my opinions on that generally to myself. What I'll say though is that from a business perspective, Facebook is fantastic as a tool. I love Facebook. It's so easy to sell against. Here's another great thing that I love selling against with Facebook. Facebook mm-hmm. spent the last decade plus telling brands that all you need to do to hit it big to build your business, to get leads and sales is to post a bunch on Facebook. Yeah. The thing is, we all know that doesn't work. Okay. Well, yeah. well, I'll, and I'll say, and I'll caveat, one of my jobs prior to starting the business was I worked at Eisenberg Group. Uh-huh. Eisenberg Group, beautiful creative that they do. Holy freaking cow. The creative stuff that they manufactured, they did for some brand that I saw, uh-huh. beautiful. If you can do that, yes. But that's big money stuff. Yeah, yeah, for right? sure. If you're a, an entrepreneur, a solopreneur, or you have like yeah. nine, 10 people working for your business, yeah. you're not going to dedicate eight hours a day to creating, crafting, and posting social content. Yeah. It's not scalable. It's much more scalable for a, a, a small business or a medium-sized business to have paid media drive the leads and the sales. Mm-hmm. Unless, and it, it's a fundamental equation, right? You either have time or you have money. If you mm-hmm. have time, you're not going to spend any money, but you have eight hours a day to to work to work on the on the stuff that is tougher, time intensive. It's slower. If you have money, I don't have time, and I'm going yeah. to spend my money. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, great. Great, man. We can talk about this forever. I feel um, this is why it's so great to have you on the podcast. You're very easy to talk to, and then you just keep throwing things. And then after that, I spent a few months just researching. After it's that, silly. it just consumed me. So I think I think we're gonna. Um, and we'll just have you, we'll just have you back to finish the conversation or to talk about it and something else. Um, because I would love to, um, want to have you back and then to ask you a few more questions, but I want to be mindful of our time. Cool. Let's go ahead and move into a closing segment. So you were here before, so we know your fun facts. So I kind of switched it up a little bit because we spend so much time at home now with the families. Some of us are uh, part-time teachers with our kids. Um, Some of them are part-time IT people. Right. (laughs) That's funny. With their wives and husbands like mine. Um, So how about you just give us like three things you do every day that just just to refuel yourself, but also to bring it back. Just three things you think if I do those three things every day, I feel good about myself. I feel good about my heart. What do you, what can you tell us? Share with it's you. not going to be all warm and fuzzy. This is uh, 
this is going to be the not. I, I make myself a, a, a nice cup of cappuccino in the morning with uh-huh. my espresso in the frother. That's Shout nice and fuzzy. It's great. Man, yeah. It's the best. My mother-in-law has the same thing. She's like, you should really use it. So I started making uh, <laughs> cappuccinos in December. I love it. Mm-hmm. Um, what? That's one thing. Another thing is just this week I started, I'm going to name some brands here. I, I started doing a, um, a meal prep uh, delivery called Macro Plate. Oh, nice. Holy freaking cow. If you have links, I'll give you guys, if, if you're listening, there's a referral code. You can get $25 off. And I'm just saying this because it is, I'm a foodie. Yeah, I know. You, you have an Instagram just for food, I a, guys. Yeah. I, I'll be in my show notes again. It's all just food photos. Um, I, and I'll, I don't know what the link is off the top of my head, but basically they, the food is fan freaking tastic. And like you can awesome. do high protein. And like just for lunch today, I had the best, and I'm not a salad guy, the best chicken salad with like 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 yesterday i had a barbecue chicken uh sandwich but like healthy with grains and all the macros that's funny yeah love it i'm i'm loving i'm loving food again so cappuccino in the morning have a meal prep delivered to you and what what would be the third thing uh third thing is reading time with our little boy our little boy henry he's two years old the favorite book right now, as we as we're sitting here, is um, Pete the Cat. Oh, I love my I love my white shoes. Oh, okay. He loves it. And, I'm gonna look uh, him up. I'm gonna look him up. And the second one is Pete the Cat. Uh, the wheels on the bus go round and round. Mm-hmm. The best. That's so, awesome. Yeah, uh, my ten month old like a book that I bought from. Um, a lady in, oh man, I hope I don't push her name. You know what? I will have it in the show notes. But the lady is in Switzerland, but she's from Gambia, Gambia, which is the smallest country in Africa. And it, it's inside of Senegal, which is where I'm from. And they have the closest culture and food that I grew up eating. So I bought it for Jade and like it shows her the pictures of like uh, the little kids going to the market, buying different fruits that are very, very, very uh, native to the country. And so, man, she destroyed that book because it's not a hard book. You know, it's like one of those books because this, I mean, it's a small business. You know, I was trying to support when she destroyed it. I have to buy at least two more, three more because she loves it. Like I'll hide the book under other books and then she'll purposely go and she's 10 months old. I'm like, yo, dude, you have all these fantastic books. <laughs> I feel like she knows that I really want her to learn this thing. Um, but yeah, she she's into she's into books now and um, she's starting to walk. So it's a it's an exciting. But um, before we go, before we go, I just want to say the the code is uh, Robert seven seven eight. That's the code. Robert seven seven eight. Okay, um, you heard it here uh, first. And what was the the link of the company again? Macro dash plate. I'm terrible. It's so good. Like you can choose high protein, low protein, you know, regular, and they give you sweets during the day. Like the my favorite so far was chocolate chip. Peanut butter protein bites. I mean, you got me at chocolate chip, so. Yeah, me too, right? You got me there. I'm like, take my money. Okay, cool. So we will make sure to have the link in the show notes. And then uh, thank you so much for joining us. This was so much fun. We will have you very, very soon. Love it. Uh, and then if people want to get in contact with you, what, where should they find you? Yeah. So um, my email is robert at brillmedia.co, B-R-I-L-L media.co, or just visit the site, brillmedia.co. We have a form on the homepage. You can submit your info. We'll call you back.
Amazing. Okay. And I'll have all this information on the, in the show notes. Thank you so much. Thanks, Alan. Talk to you soon. Again, you'll find everything we've discussed today in our show notes on our website, programmaticdigest.com. You can also sign up to receive our newsletter weekly when a new episode drops or monthly if you like to binge like I do. In conclusion, fam, our mission on this podcast is to share knowledge, highlight diversity and inclusion in our industry, and educate ourselves as we continue to build this community of curious and confident programmatic ninjas. And if you're listening to this and you made it this far, please stay safe and stay at home. Thank you.